But okay, so thank you today, Kay, for um, being on Shots of Wisdom podcast. I'm really happy to have you on, and you're the CEO at Tampa. At Tampa. And basically, I just want to find out from yourself in terms of how long have you been running the business and um, when did you start okay. it? Okay, so I set up Tamba in 1994 uh, when I was 17. I formed the idea when I was 16 and I'd just left school. Um, I'd been really, really lucky that my parents, who weren't well off, put me in a private school. Um, but it was a real struggle for them. So when I got to 16 and passed my GCSEs, they just said, we can't afford to do this anymore. You need to get a job. Um, but it had given me enough of a start and enough of a belief that I could do something pretty cool, that I was incubating the idea. But the plan was, when I set up Tamba, I actually wanted to go to drama school. Um, but because I taught myself to program and I'd been building very basic websites, because back in 1994, all websites were basic. Yeah. Email was a black screen with green typing <laughs> on it. It was very, very different to what we have now. Um, so I was just going to run it for a year to pay my way through drama school, which was a pretty expensive option at that time. Um, but I was very fortunate that I, I, I think I just had that kind of whiz kid type attitude and I had the programming skills that were quite rare in 94 um, and I hustled and I made quite a lot of money to the point where when it came time to make a decision about drama school I thought you know what I'll keep going and I kind of fell in love and that's why I'm still here 24 years later still doing what I love. Okay okay so basically for someone at 17, 16, to decide to start their own business. I'm just intrigued in terms of, um, were you not held back or did you not think about the whole factor around being young and age having a factor within the business world? Um, so in the early 90s, because the internet was an emerging technology, there weren't the, the kind of middle-aged male, you know, experience. Yeah role models it was it was a an industry in its infancy a bit like you know cryptocurrency yes. is the big thing now um so if you're an expert in that people are going to listen to you and so in that time actually being young meant I was a native of that generation so it actually worked in my favor I could use that lack of experience but programming ability the ability to write code then um made me different and made me special but I think my parents had run their own businesses and that had given me the work ethic, but I'd also seen their businesses go under. Um, and that gave me this, this stubborn streak that hasn't changed at all as the business has grown and, and my life has changed, that I will not stop and I will not give up and I will not ever have my family go through what we went through when they lost their businesses because it was a really tough time. And I think really it was... Whether you'd call it arrogance now, but when you're 16, 17, you don't see that you can fail. You're naive. And that naivety is a beautiful thing that gets you through to about 23, 24, when you have enough life experience to go, you know what, this is really hard. This is difficult. And then it's just the the willfulness not to let go and not to give up, no matter how hard it becomes, because we have the dot-com boom and bust. Yeah. Um, I've been in business through two recessions now. It's It's hard. Um, but I am just stubborn as heck. You know, you can shake that tree, but I won't let go. 
I, I really, really admire that. And that in terms of your parents, what did they teach you? As in, what did you get from them that's made you successful within business from, from exactly what you just told me right now? Right, really, really simple. Their work ethic. They had the most incredible work ethic. So when they were self-employed, they were working seven days a week. And my dad would be up and out the house before anyone was up, half five, five o'clock in the morning, out working. Um, my mum would be uh, taking me to school, then straight to work. Then she'd pick me up from school, and then we'd go straight back to work, and I'd go with her. Um, and, and just kind of seeing that whole life. So to me, it was nothing strange or odd. So business hours to me, when they've needed to be, have been 100-hour weeks. And also when they've needed to be, because I have children now, They've been 25 hour weeks. So I've got that kind of work ethic when it needs it. When I need to put my shoulder to the wall, I will. And that's something I definitely learned from them. They have enormous strength of character and just this phenomenal work ethic, which I don't know that I would have it if I hadn't just seen it from the day I was born consistently. And even when they lost their businesses, my mom. Um, from running her own business, took a job in a factory working nights. My dad became a security guard working nights um, because it paid better and they would alternate shifts so one of them could be with me. Um, it, it, it was awful. It was low paid, minimum wage, dirty environments. I can't imagine what that must have done to them after being yeah. self-employed and at some points doing financially extremely well. Um, and they did that to keep me in private school. And so for me there's been a lifelong obligation, which I believe I'm paying them back now um, in kind um, for everything that they did for me. They now live in a beautiful bungalow in the grounds of my house um, that I built for them. Um, and I take care of my mom morning and night. She had uh, four strokes last year. And uh, so instead of them being in some kind of um, sheltered accommodation, they're next door where they can see their grandchildren every day. And I take care of them when they need it. And that, to me, is exactly what they deserve for everything they did for me. That's just so um, heartwarming, the simple fact that you look after your mum and your parents. And obviously, I'm sorry to hear about your mum. She, she, well, you know what? She made it through. And that was a miracle in itself, you, you know, to have several serious strokes and she had a very serious surgery in the middle of it which was meant to stop any more strokes and then she had another so it was a really tough year last year but it, it just shows you what you're capable of and if I can't do my best every day watching her yeah recover from that age 75 and just keep on going keep walking keep doing daily physio and everything else that she does then there's something seriously wrong so she's absolutely my inspiration so if you think any of my stories impressive, you need to get hers. <laughs> it sounds like she's one heck of a woman. She is. So basically, in terms of like your, your motivation and drives, do you find that you can easily pull those from people around you and from your situations and surroundings around you? So they've changed over the years. Um, I'm going to be completely honest. In my um, teens and 20s, my motivations were financial, all financial. It was about building wealth. I wanted the flashy cars. You know, I was driving an, a Jaguar XK8 when I was 25. I was driving a Bentley uh, before I had my youngest child. So, you know, I've done the lovely cars. I've got the beautiful home. Um, 
and I was still on that path until uh, just after I had my daughter, who's now three and a half. Um, and when she was eight weeks old, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And suddenly, everything goes up in the air and it puts what you want into perspective. And suddenly, my motivations very much realigned. And I was like, what am I chasing? When is enough? Um, and I reprioritized everything, put him first, put my children very much first. And although the business continues to grow and we have other businesses as well, um, we make sure that we look after each other first because or having all the money in the world is great. But if you don't have your family and you don't have each other and your health, you've got nothing. So it was, um, I'm sad, really sad that it took something as scary as that. And he's absolutely fine now. Um, we were very, very fortunate that it was uh, a really treatable cancer. And although it was a dark time at the time, we got through it really, really well. He's heroic to say the least, um, because he works with me at Tamba. He's Tamba's MD. Um, it, it just made us so much stronger as a couple and as business leaders and as a unit. Um, you know, we're a good team. And I think now my motivations are very much about what I can do to make my family proud of me. That's really important to me. And also what I can do to help um, other people. So when opportunities like this come up or people ask me for little bits of mentoring here and there, if I can help them, I will. Because, you know, sometimes you just need a hand or a leg up or just a bit of different thinking. And so many people are capable of that, but just won't give the time to do it. And so I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person that says, yeah, you know, what can I do? Yeah. And I think that clearly came across as when I mentioned to you when I reached out to you on LinkedIn and you managed to get back to me so quickly <laughs> which obviously um the timing <laughs> obviously has a big thing to do to it to do with it but it just shows that you are willing to help people that are just on the come up pe people that want to get to where you are well yeah it's on a journey too though and we don't know you know, where you're going to go, what you're going to do. And I think it's all about building those relationships. Everyone you meet every day might have an opportunity for you or you might be an opportunity for them. There are ways we can all help each other. And I just, I've got this real like thing for paying it forward and random acts of kindness. So I pay for random people's petrol. And instead of being happy, they always look at me with absolute suspicion as I'm leaving the petrol station. When the next person has their petrol paid for, they're really confused by it and they're suspicious. And isn't that sad? It that is. That people don't think, oh, that's nice. They think, why did she do that? What What's her motivation? What does she want? And when you, like in the coffee shop, I'll pay for the next person's drink and they just find it weird. It strikes up conversations, but they think it's weird. But I just think if we we're all a little bit kinder in the world, where would we be? It'd be great. That is so true. So you need to do that next time you're in Starbucks or any other coffee shop. Pay for the next person's drink. It makes you feel amazing. Just spread that little bit of love. Yeah, exactly. That is a nice trick. I definitely will try it within the next week. I'll be checking. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I let you know when I do it. <laughs> and then um, basically, in terms of running your own businesses for such a long time, what would you say <laughs> is the best part of owning your own business? I think it's the fact that you can steer in any direction. One of the things that has been pivotal in Tamba's success so far 
is that we're quite good at seeing where markets are moving. So when um, viral gaming started becoming a big thing, in about 2005, 2006, we skilled up in that area. We were able to make hundreds and hundreds of games for brands. And we really, really um, did an awful lot of work in that space. But then we started to see that the market was moving more towards social media. So we moved very much in that direction, building Facebook apps and things like that. And now it's become uh, more about editorial content, video content, Facebook Live. That's a huge thing for us. We do an awful lot of work on Facebook Live. Um, so we're very agile. And I think that that's been one of our one of our sweet spots, just listening to the market really closely. And whilst we're bigger now, we're still small enough to be agile and jump onto these new things and skill up in the right areas so that we can, as much as possible, future-proof ourselves. In terms of um, basically, I know you touched on Facebook Live and basically always see, always seeing where trends are going. How do you feel about um, basically Facebook Live, Instagram Live, and just how live um, live marketing, shall I say, how all of that is heading within the next one to two years, and how that's going to play an impact in terms of um, growing both personal personal brands and um, company brands as well. It's really interesting. Where it's going in one to two years is impossible to answer because um, one to two years in internet terms is, you know, it, everything changes in a moment in time. And a lot is defined by what Facebook or what Insta choose to do with their platforms and their closely guarded secrets like the Google algorithm. But there is definitely um, a lot of emphasis on Facebook Live with my clients. Insta Stories, really, really popular, particularly with influencer marketing campaigns. So when we're hooking up brands with really good Instagrammers, um, they're doing both Instagram content that will sit on timeline and also Insta Stories. So we're doing quite a lot of that right now. Facebook Live, um, when you do a Facebook Live video, you're 10 times more likely to be seen uh, than if you do a normal video, but a normal video is three times more likely to be seen than a photo post. So you can definitely see that there is a movement towards video with Facebook in terms of how it appears on the newsfeed. So Facebook Live, you can tune in at certain points in the day or evening and every brand's got a Facebook Live, particularly those targeting the millennials. Um, there is absolutely a lot going on there. The problem is there are a lot of mechanics, automatic mechanics being used that become really generic. Once you've seen them once, as a consumer, I think you'll tire of them quite quickly. So it's something that we're trying not to overuse. And we're trying to use genuine live. So we use presenters as well. So that each almost webisode, um, each experience is unique. And it's very much about directly engaging with the audience and having live conversations. We have a social media team who will moderate the conversations to make sure there's no you know, fruity language or anything inappropriate said. But really it's about taking that consumer content and having presenters that in real time are confident in using that to, you know, kind of change the vibe of the show and mix it up a little bit. It's very much, I suppose it's going back to my love as a teen of theatre. Um, I actually present some lives for some of our clients and I love the, the, improvised, the improvisation aspects of it. Whilst you do have a schedule and there are things you know you must 
um, mention and cover how you do that when you're in a live scenario can differ you know can vary I don't choose to wear an earpiece when I'm on air so although I'm getting cues and signals from the production crew I haven't got somebody chatting in my ear telling me exactly what to say and I think that creates real free-flowing content and that a lot of which is derived from what the audience is saying to me in real time. And it's a great way of driving traffic to brands. And it's something that whether you're a one-man band or a multinational, you can do because Facebook haven't paywalled it so that only the big players can do it. Anyone can do a Facebook Live. Anyone can do an Insta story or an Insta Live. You've got so many different options um, that are... When are they going to start introducing paywalls for this content and this, this this functionality? And that's exactly what I think. So that could be something that happens the next year or two. Yeah, because at the moment it's been so um, open to basically anyone being able to use it and, and advertise. Basically, it's very easy at the moment for anyone to start their own marketing business and run campaigns for different brands mm-hmm. and companies. But then what happens when that changes? Yeah, I mean, I think a paywall will obviously... Um, filter out some of the smaller players you could argue that Facebook won't do that but I don't think anybody in the very early days saw that Facebook would have the advertising platform that's worth the billions that it is now Um, and it's the the obvious challenger to Google um, you know as is YouTube so I think that there, there will be shifts in how the technology is made available to businesses, I think, as we go forward, whatever they may be, whether it's paywall or whether it's limitations on exposure and news feed. But I think there will be some challenges to overcome. So it's about how we become smarter about how we do marketing, because a lot of marketing is broadcast where you just shout out to people about what you do. And I think consumers now want to engage in conversations and become the heroes in their own stories. And we as people who control brands need to fit around the consumer and be what they want us to be at the time they want us to be that rather than just having this. This is our story and we need to tell you because people are turned off by that now. Yeah, 100 percent. I think we all see that on a day to day basis when people just the stuff that was working even six months ago doesn't work anymore. Yeah, yeah. And then in terms of basically when you're approaching, um, I don't know, maybe in the earlier days when you were approaching in terms of strategy for different clients, how would you go about that in terms of um, finding basically their requirements and then to the point where you're executing it, how would you go through that whole process? So in very early days, it was really, really simple. I would, I literally wrote letters so we were based um in a place called the custard factory so there were like hundreds of businesses just in birmingham in building in birmingham in digba yeah and i literally one day i decided right how do i get this this has got to grow we were we were kind of we were doing okay but we weren't getting anywhere and um i wrote to every other business in the entire building um and i got you know quite a lot of work back from that which was just a real simple do you need a website? Because back then, that was all it was. Do you need a website? Do you need a domain name? It was really, really simple. Yeah. Um, and then from there, all of those people that we approached, we then said, 
And do you know another business that might have an equal challenge? And I can do something for you in terms of your price if you provide me with an introduction. So that was free peer-to-peer marketing then. And people were obviously willing to do that because it made their website more affordable. Now it's completely different. So now, and bear in mind, I'm working with multinational brands, global organizations, rather than the small businesses. We'll start by getting um, around the table with our client for one or two days on something called an onboarding workshop. And in that, it's about us discovering who they are, what they do, what they've always done in terms of marketing, what works, what doesn't work, what's changing, why are we sat around the table? There's always a reason there's either a problem or an opportunity that's caused the need for us to be sat around that table. And then it's about identifying which of our skills and which of our teams are going to be the right fit to start answering either those challenges or those opportunities. So it's a lot more structured now, and it's it's scaled up extensively. But the principles are, are pretty similar, which is just about a discovery phase, followed by a uh, almost like designing a recipe before we then bake it in the oven and taste the cake that comes out at the other end. We have to kind of find what those magic ingredients are that's going to work for that client. Okay. And then basically in terms of after you've done the strategy and then once you execute it and then how are you in terms of if it works, great, carry on. But then in terms of if it doesn't work, how quickly are you in terms of um, going back to the board and reevaluating and changing? And I think in terms of marketing, that's something that um, we do a lot in terms of if it's not working, we can change it straight away and try something new. Yeah. But there's also a little bit of watch and wait because particularly with social media, because publication of something, editorial content is instant. So the expectation, um, and I'm sure if I was the client, I'd feel the same way is, well, okay, so where's my sales? And actually, sometimes there is a long tail effect with these things that if you are seen on various influencers platforms, and then you're seen because you're in Google results, and then you're seen because you've got a YouTube pre-roll ad, and then you're seen, and it's those 17 touch points that are often talked about in marketing before you get that sales conversion. So I'm actually a little more cautious. I want to be agile at all times, but sometimes you've got to leave something in the market long enough to let it breathe. Not everything is an overnight success. It's why sometimes people re-release singles that didn't do well the first time and do better the second time. Didn't Ed Sheeran just re-release a song and put Beyonce on it? Yeah. So you mix it up. You go, okay, that was really good, but it only got to number two. And Ed Sheeran thought, I'm not satisfied with that. He's a perfectionist. So he thought, okay, what can I do? Let's get some stateside involvement. Let's. Who's the biggest person I can get? Let's get Beyonce. That'll open some doors. Exactly. And and obviously he's doing um, a track with Eminem now. So it's it's opened up these opportunities. So I think in the same way, you can revisit anything and you can still give it a little bit of time to work. Um, I'm always loath to expect things. You know, you, you don't sort of sit the chicken on the egg and expect it to hatch immediately. You don't plant the seed and it, you haven't got the flower the next day. Um, some of the seeds that I planted within Tambor, I planted 15 years ago and they're growing out today. I have a, a client, he's a, a great friend now actually, and it took me 10 years to win him as a client. 
And he started at one company, I pitched him, didn't win him. Went to another company, pitched him, didn't win him. Went to the third company, pitched him and won him. But 10 years it took me to win him as a client. And even now we're still great friends. So, you know, you've got to stick at these things sometimes. It's not always about the, the quickest reaction. Sometimes no move is the right move. But when you can clearly see that something's not meeting marketing objectives or you've put something, a campaign somewhere and it's not getting the reach, you can just maybe look at the media plan for it and say, do you know what? Maybe I've got the right message, but the wrong channel. But a lot of the success of that is actually testing with consumers before you publish big pieces of content and big marketing campaigns and actually testing with a focus group, which if you're a one-man band, you say, well, I'm not going to afford a research agency and a focus group. But that could be a group of people you know not that well down the pub. It could be showing some people in a coffee shop. It can be really, really simple concepts like that. It can be putting something on an internet forum just to research and, and garner some thoughts from other people. Um, but actually testing those ideas in the first place before you start spending money on media is a really, really good plan nine times out of ten. Okay, okay. And in terms of um, what what um, advice would you give to someone else, whether young, old, trying to basically start an agency today in 2018? Um, that's a good question. So I would say you need to find something about yourself that is different and unique. In the agency world now, there are so many people that claim to be something. There are a thousand web design agencies. There are hundreds of social media agencies. There are hundreds of influencer marketing agencies. So find something that is your unique DNA because I think at the moment marketing directors are probably getting a little bit tired of everybody being everything. And that's not to say that my agency, because we have specialisms in all of those areas, <laughs> isn't part of that problem. Um, I'm lucky that we've got brand recognition. We've got heritage now and we've got, you know, a, a portfolio of awards that kind of drive people into us. But I think for me, it's about finding that unique something. And even if it's just that you're, as a founder, you're more excited than the next person or you've got a controversial view of where marketing is going, but you just stick to that and you've got to have a spine of absolute steel because agency land is tough. There are some great people in it, some amazing people. I'm so, so lucky that the industry at large is full of amazing people. Um, so you've got to be tough. You've got to be really, really resilient. So young or old, experienced or inexperienced, I don't think that's an issue. I think just having that inner strength that you will be that person that when someone shakes the tree, you will not let go either is is pretty powerful stuff. And then in terms of basically um, being patient when you're building, it doesn't matter whether it's, the, it's an agency or any business just in general, how, how much of a role does being patient? I think, yeah, it, it plays a big, big, big part of it because... If you're like me, you'll wait exactly one night to become an overnight success. Um, and after 24 years, I'm still not an overnight success. I'm still waiting for that moment. Um, so I think not 
setting yourself up for failure by expecting greatness in the first year and also being really sensible about not taking too much money out of the company, allowing it to sit there and grow. You know, take a salary, but don't take a big salary. Don't blow all the money when the good times are rolling before you have that that lull that happens in any business a couple of years in. Um, get great people around you. Focus on that. So being patient doesn't mean not doing anything. It means not expecting the end game right at the beginning. Because if you've got that, where's the fulfillment? I've seen so many agencies that have actually come and gone in the time that I've been in business because they've sold out. They've made millions. They've made absolute millions Some really amazing agencies. But I often think those people were so creative and so inspired by what they did. I wonder how they feel with all that money in the bank but not having that buzz of agency life now because obviously once they've sold out, they're not allowed to work in agencies for X number of years thereafter. And as much as, you know, we've had a lot of offers for Tambra over the years and some really good ones, I still absolutely love it. And so I can't imagine right now not going into work each day and not picking up the phone and seeing who's going to call and what the opportunity is going to be and what the challenge is going to be. And I think that's probably where, you know, my heart lies at the moment. And I guess it always has. So patience to a degree, but patience doesn't mean paralysis. You can still be growing a great team around you. You can be growing great processes around you because as much as it's boring, process is key. And if you're like me and you're an entrepreneur, you'll have none. You'll hate process, hate it with a passion. So the first person you hire needs to be a process person that you'll, you'll, they'll really wind you up, but they'll be the most essential person for you because entrepreneurs have the great ideas, but they have no clue about actually executing them to fruition. That's a really, really big eye opener. That That's my weak point is following things through in a nice, sensible logical process i go come on team great idea we're all going to go and do this and then i have a load of people who sit there and make it happen but look at me frustratedly because last week i had another big idea so you know it's great being an entrepreneur but it's a nightmare for people to have to work with me (laughs) (laughs) and then in terms of your team and the people that you work with and people that work for you how important are those people to you They are so important, so important. There is no way that I could do it alone. Um, I'm very lucky that I work with my husband and he's a fantastic MD. All the clients love him, all the team love him. He is one of those people that everybody loves. I'm a bit more Marmite, as you'd expect for a founder. You love me or you hate me. (laughs) Um, Used to bother me, but I can live with it now. Um, But I've I've got some... um, really, really skilled team members. My my technical director started as a web developer with me uh, 16 years ago, and he's worked his way up and he's technical director with the shareholding in the firm now. He is amazing. I could not be without him. And if I were ever to do other things in the future, he'd be with me as well. He's fantastic. And we've got lots of key people, but there's also people that I've had work with me who have moved on move to other places in the country and I still sound them out when I've got challenges or ideas for the business because we've maintained that really good relationship and as colleagues I really trust trust them I was going to say trusted I still trust them (laughs) so it's about kind of making those relationships along the way and maintaining them because when somebody 
leaves that maybe they haven't left for good. I've got staff who are working for me now that worked for me once, moved on and came back. And that really says a lot about you yourself and your company as well, for them to leave, go somewhere else, get that experience elsewhere and then come back as well yeah. after. Yeah, I hope so. And in terms of basically your company, what growing pains did you have, if any, or what were some of the, the darker moments that um, people don't really see who are not running businesses that you've had over the past years running your business? Well, I mean, over the years, there's been a few periods where the phone hasn't rung and, you know, your AdWords campaign hasn't delivered and you've had to come up with some really, really good hustle to keep getting the deals in. Other times, you're just fighting off opportunities. Um, you just like is a great example. We, we literally can't hang up the phone quick enough for the next call that's coming in. There's so much opportunity out there. There's so much going on. Um, but historically, there have been periods of time where it gets very quiet and you've got to be really proactive in those moments and not let the, the deafening silence paralyze you from doing something to stop that you know you've, you've got to start that ball rolling and of course the bigger you get as a company the bigger the ship is and the harder it is to change direction when you need to it becomes a little bit harder and less agile um so for me the thing that i always like the least is when there are challenges of not enough opportunity but i've got enough experience now to know okay so we need to be out there networking we need to be doing thought leadership we need to be doing online networking things like talking to people on linkedin is how you and i discovered each other uh, yeah. and just kind of working the numbers always looking at the numbers saying right okay if i need to make 100 calls today or i need to go for 30 coffees to get the next deal how quickly can I get them in the diary? How can I move this forward? And then the other thing that I would say is just managing cash flow, big or small, having a really tight control of your bottom line is absolutely critical. So don't overstretch the bottom line. Don't take the money if it's not there. Always leave yourself um, a margin for things going wrong. Be insured, you know, do all the, the boring grown-up things. Be insured, protect yourself. If you do something that serves the public, you need your public liability. You need your professional indemnity. You need your buildings and contents. All these boring things that sexy business leaders don't tell you, but yeah. they're all there to protect you. So that it's even things like hacks that, that are probably more the, the crimes that I guess we face in business now than, you know, your traditional burglaries. It's more hacks, isn't it? Um, you've got to be protected against them and it will help you sleep at night. So just, again, it's process, isn't it? And planning for all eventualities, try and cover your backside as much as you can. Um, cash flow and covering the lean times are the two, I think, potential dark dark areas that you can face but there are ways to get around both of them and you know prevention is better than cure and then in terms of on the other side of it what have been some of your best moments in business or your best moments if you have one? Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you just one there are so many amazing things that have happened to us um you know we've we've had phone calls and people saying yeah we need you to work for Kylie Minogue can you write her a voice script and deliver it to her today and you know, all sorts of them. And having Kylie tweet about you, that was phenomenal. We've worked with lots of people in the music industry, which is super exciting. And it's a great way of getting staff on board if you can show all the record labels you work with. People love that. <laughs> um, 
the I suppose the one moment that always sticks out in my mind was in 2007 New Media Age was the biggest um, marketing title of the time and we won a New Media Age Effectiveness Award for our work for Comic Relief which was all done for free we built a game we got loads and loads of charity donations raised a huge amount of money we had a video tribute on screen before we went up on stage from Graham Norton uh, and then Simon Amstel gave us an award. But that whole, we had to walk from upstairs down this massive staircase and then through all the crowd. Um, and it was just a phenomenal moment. And my mom and dad were there. Um, I booked them a suite at the hotel for that night at the Grosvenor House. And just the pride on their faces when they saw me pick up that award was what it was all about for me. Um it was a phenomenal night. So that that's a kind of standout moment. And then in terms of um, basically for aspiring entrepreneurs, how do you um, recommend or suggest they spend their money? Let's say if they're starting out a new business, so the main focus is having money for the business. How do you, how do you recommend that they spend their own finances in terms of basically not wasting any money and using it at the right times for the right things? Okay. Well, I can actually answer this a little bit differently to how you're going to expect me to, because I actually set up another company uh, over Christmas and I have a jewellery brand, a fashion, a luxe fashion jewellery brand called Jasmine Harper. And one of the things that I've done as a bit of an experiment is set it up with probably about £500 marketing budget. And that's it. When that £500 is gone, it's gone. But we've been really smart. So we've set up the website very cheaply. I haven't had my own internal design team do it because I wanted to prove that these things can be done on a budget. So we built it with Shopify. Uh, we did all our own photography, which is really difficult. If you're in the jewellery game, jewellery photography is the worst if you're not a photographer. Absolute nightmare. Did all the photography and we've done um, some Google ads, some Facebook ads, but we've done it really, really lean. We've also um, created some influencer marketing campaigns where we've not paid our influencers, but we've offered them our product in exchange for review. And we are, I think, three, four weeks in now and it is flying. We're going to be in Tatla next month. Um, so it's, it's going amazingly well. And it proves that actually, if you know marketing, you can eke so much value out of what is not a lot of spend. I'm not talking about £500 a month marketing budget. I'm talking about £500 full stop. It's got to then start churning its own revenue to justify a marketing budget going forwards. And it's doing exactly that. And that's in three weeks. Now, luckily, I've got 24 years of marketing heritage to get me to that point. But it was a bit of a part business, part experimentation to just test our own metal because we work with so many um, Uber brands. And people say, yeah, but, you know, everyone's heard of Superdry, everyone's heard of Pirelli, but actually no one's heard of Jasmine Harper. It's a brand new brand. No one knows what we do. We're a slightly different concept in fashion jewellery that we are curated collections. And that's kind of carving out a niche where potentially there is no niche. So we've got to convince people that this is something they need in their lives. So it's been a whole new challenge for me. Um, but actually, it's that same startup love affair that I had when I was 17. Nothing's changed. I still love that whole, how are we going to get people excited and talking about us? And every time somebody does, it's the biggest buzz. 
So for someone who's basically potentially wants to start a brand, how important mm-hmm. do you think it is to have basically a story and to find your own avenue so that basically it's, it just sets up the marketing story and it just makes it authentic and different? Yeah, people buy into stories, don't they? They do. Um, I haven't overly laboured the Jasmine Harper story. I've kept the concept really simple about the kind of things that I like to wear jewellery-wise and where I struggle to find them and how I believe that other people might have that challenge too. And if they do, come and join me and be part of my little collective. So I don't think your story needs to be this, you know, well-crafted epic novel because if it's online, people haven't got time for that. But I think you just need a bit of a, a reasoning. And also, don't be afraid to put your face behind the brand as well. You know, you don't need model good looks. I certainly don't have them. But I'll put my face to something because I think it shows a degree of honesty and transparency that says I'm here, you know, and I'm, I'm right here for you to talk to if you want to. So having a story is great as long as it's authentic and it's not overstated for marketing effect because yeah. people are smart and they'll see through it and in terms of um, brands and companies at the moment um which ones do you think are doing a great story in terms of their marketing at the moment oh goodness so many so many um <laughs> it's interesting that i find it easier to say the kind of brands that are turning me off at the moment than turning me on um there are lots and lots of brands in the food and beverage uh industry that are doing some really really clever things um yeah i mean i i don't want to single out a single company because i think that's that's unfair but i think those that are using tech where it fits their story so they're using social media for example to um get consumers to experience their products in their own way and then they're disseminating that content i love the authenticity of things like that what i don't like is when people kind of overstate themselves and become a little bit self-indulgent um some of the um the fitness and protein type brands are quite self-indulgent in the way they communicate and personally that turns me off i think it probably does work for millennials um because you find the brasher messages work for the millennials and the subtler messages are working for generation x generation y okay and then in terms of um answering your question there am i but it's because i don't want to single out any brands you've got to bear in mind i'd have to mention all my clients (laughs) (laughs) so i definitely won't make you mention any brands (laughs) and then in terms of just campaigns in general this Mm. this one doesn't have to be any clients that you've got have you got any favorite campaigns marketing campaigns um the stuff that, that we work on that we love the most at the moment, we love doing our Facebook lives because when we ask a consumer in real time, what do you think of this product? They just tell us and it's brilliant. So not only is it a sales opportunity, it's also a focus group. It's research, customer insights. You could pay a fortune for this stuff and it's all right there. Um, I like the instantaneous nature of sales that come from it it's in the moment it's real um and i i like the fact that it's a competed space so you have to be really clever and you know construct a good quality set have good quality audio 
use great um, video production tools, um, be well rehearsed because the market is getting sharper and sharper um, as the months go on. And I think we're all sort of being tested to greater degrees to produce really compelling content. I also think brands that are using really good video content where they actually are, are moving more towards um, content in webisodes and storytelling over the longer period, but using rich video content, that is definitely something we're going to see more of. And it's truly um, moving consumers towards action, which I think is fabulous. Lots more authentic storytelling as well. Um, lots of brands tell stories, but authentic storytelling is a bit different where these stories are born out of real customer situations and real customer needs rather than contrived. Because like I said before, consumers are really savvy and they're picking up now where brands are being a bit try hard um, so it's all those, you know, when you hear about, um, you know, supermarkets that jump yeah. into conversations <laughs> with each other, uh, what, what's the thing with the, um, the Sainsbury's yes. uniform and it was uh, an item based off the way they bantered, it was really authentic and it was brilliant. And, and I can't even imagine the PR value of that. It's priceless. Um, yeah, but it's little moments like that. But the problem is if you're not listening and doing social media listening, you would miss that marketing moment. So being able to piggyback on those things is brilliant. And that's something any one-man bank can do because they've got the, the, the time and the ability to choose to do that. And then in terms of at the moment, um, what would you say is one of your favourite platforms in terms of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest? Right, well, um, I love Twitter for news. I get factual stuff from Twitter. I spend the volume of time on Facebook. Insta is a work tool for me because I'm too old. <laughs> <laughs> You're I love, not. I love Pinterest for inspiration. Um, all, all my guys at work love Snapchat, love WhatsApp, and I'm a little bit dinosaur-y. So I will create the campaigns with them in, knowing exactly how they work and who they're for. Um, but do I do I spend my time on those platforms? No, I don't. Not if I'm honest, that's not where I spend my time. I'm not a natural YouTuber, um, but YouTube is video is such a core part of what we do. And my son, who's eight, has announced that he would like to be a YouTuber. So I'm having to um, to really up my game there because eight year olds are so tech savvy these days. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, I mean, he wants the full DSLR setup. Oh. Uh, YouTube channel. Yeah, he watches Ali A. So, I mean, as long as he can be as successful as Ali A, I think I'll be sorted for life. <laughs> you won't have to do a single thing after that. I know. It's great, isn't it? I mean, to be honest with you, that's going to be the the footballers of this generation. Next generation will be YouTubers, won't it? Because that is where, I suppose, celebrity and the almost the hero worship is moving. Oh, yeah, 100%. I would say just even from just like looking over the past five to eight years, it's almost shifting from the normal A-list celebrities to becoming the influencers. Your likes of, let's say, Jake Pauls, they're more famous than your A-list. Yeah. yeah. And and of course, they have the price tags to go with them. We, we've worked with some very big influencers, uh, including the Kardashians. And obviously, the price tags associated are phenomenal numbers yeah. whatever number you're imagining right now it was more 
Um, oh, but, God. you know, the, again, it's all about authenticity. More and more influencers now are being caught out because they're not using ad or spawn on their content. They're not being authentic and truthful with their audience. We There were issues um, on a Channel 4 documentary a couple of years ago with a particular agency who uh, was representing people like Tanya Burr and Zoella. And again, weren't declaring um, that products that they were promoting, they were also earning a fee off the sale of. So again, authenticity is going to be really, really important to the success of influencers. Otherwise, that whole thing will blow up and go pop and it won't exist in a few years because people will stop believing and it won't generate sales and therefore it won't generate more money for them going forwards. And then just touching in terms of basically authenticity and just honesty, how important do you think that is in both business and in life, always being your true self and just being authentic at all times? Yeah, be real, be authentic. You haven't got to be a big show-offy character. Um, I always get asked to speak at conferences and things like that. And I'm actually a really shy person. And that's the last thing I want to do. I immediately pass all that across to John because it's not for me. So knowing the things that you love, I love to write. I'll write white papers and thought leadership till the cows come home. But I don't like to speak. And I think you've just got to do what you love and be honest and open about that. Having said that, um, I know some uh, business people who overshare. And yeah. customers don't need to know too much. They need to know what's relevant to them and their business. But you're in business. You're not necessarily with every client making friends. There needs to be a bit of a distinction. So I sometimes think that oversharing can undersell you. So just, you know, maintain that level of professionalism that is right for that particular client. Some you get closer to than others. But just having that, that standard that you always stick to. And as long as you make yourself and your family proud by your own standards, don't worry about what anybody else is doing or what their standards are. You judge yourself by your own standards and let other people judge themselves by theirs. And just single-handedly for you, if you had to pick just only, let's say, three things which you feel are the main reasons why you've been successful, what would those be? Naivety in the first place, because I was young and I didn't know I could fail. Stubbornness, when I suddenly realised I could fail and I was just going to refuse to. And doggedness. No matter what, if I want you as a client, I will just keep going till I get you. Even if it takes me 10 years, I'll get you in the end. Um, I, I just have dogged determination. It's not glamorous, it's not sexy, but I work, I will work hard and I will win that client. And then in terms of, let's, um, if you had one wish, I'm just going crazy now, but oh, go on. <laughs> let's just say in another world. Can the, can the answer be Channing Tatum before we go any <laughs> If you want it to be, it definitely can be Channing That's Tatum. If it's a wish you're offering me, it's Channing Tatum is the answer. <laughs> I think the question will definitely be able to offer you that. <laughs> in terms of let's just think about it aladdin you've got genie and and genie can only grant you one wish basically if you could go over like your whole life again and do something different what would it be oh now you know what there are things that i've done in my past that were so epically stupid 
but I don't know that I'd be the person I am today if I hadn't suffered those kick in the teeth humiliations. Um, so would I change them now? I don't think I would. Um, and sometimes I always say, I wish I'd met my husband 10 years before I did. We didn't meet till I was 30. Um, and we got married really quickly and we've been married a decade this year, which is fab. Um, but I always say I wish I'd met him so much sooner, but then would it have been the same? So what would I wish for? I would wish that I inspired my children to be their best because everything they do gives me so much satisfaction. So I would love them to look at me as I look at my mom as an inspiration and my dad and think, you know what? My parents are an amazing example of what hard work can achieve. I'd like to go out and do my thing and, and achieve something like that. If I'm making them proud every day, I'm happy. Whether that's a wish or not, failing that, I just wish for Channing Tatum. <laughs> so we're, we're still going to Channing Tatum? Possibly. I'll make the kids proud first. <laughs> and then, but, you know, and then Channing. forward the podcast to Channing anyway. You never know. <laughs> no. I'll let Channing know. <laughs> and then I know I've took a lot of your time, so... I've just got literally just the last two questions for you. Just so, so yeah. I want to say I really appreciate your time and you accepting to do this from a random guy that you've never spoke to who <laughs> just reached out to you on LinkedIn. So I think that says a lot about you as a person in supporting someone that's unknown to you and giving them the chance to take an hour of your day when you're potentially not getting anything for it. So, so I just wanted to say thank you and I really appreciate that. You're very welcome. And then in terms of basically the podcast being based around business and marketing creatives, people trying to go from, let's say, point A to point B or point, I don't know, from M to N, um, what three shots of wisdom would you give to those people that are trying to start their own business and trying to make a difference of their life? Don't let anybody tell you you can't, because you can show up every time 99% of my success has just been showing up and when it needs it hustle and those are the main ones that you would pass on yeah because thing is you can have all the marketing skills yeah. in the world yeah. if you don't hustle every day they're not going to carry you through because somebody with hustle and no marketing skills will convince more people so have all the skills, absolutely. Don't be a pretender, but you've got to show up and then give it some hustle. You've got to work it. And by hustle, I don't mean be dishonest or anything, but be there, care, be chatty, give it your all. You know, take every opportunity that's put before you because you never know where it might lead. That's what I've done today. Yeah, that's very true. And that was the last question for you for, from me today. And I just want to say again, thank you. And from just this um, past hour that we spoke over this conversation now, I'd just like to say, as what I'd call it, you're a really cool person and a really oh. down-to-earth human being. Thank you. It's really kind. Really appreciate you for doing this, Kay. So this is the third podcast of Shots of Wisdom, and it is officially done. <laughs> <laughs>